three, two, one. Welcome to the Mix Zone by Infront Lab. On this podcast, we chat with sports and innovation leaders from around the globe, talking about everything from the newest technologies to major trends affecting our industry. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're Infront Lab, the innovation branch of Infront Sports and Media. We use technology to improve experiences and create new opportunities in sports, and help sports and entertainment organizations by bringing them closer to cutting-edge technologies and startups. We cover all sports-related industries, from data to content and everything in between. I'm Marav Severe, Marketing Manager at The Lab and host of this podcast. Nowadays, we like to throw around the term personalized fan experiences. It seems as if everyone is providing their fans or viewers with personalized experiences, including sports organizations who are working to provide fans with experiences built just for them based on what they want to watch, where they want to watch it, and what news they consume. But creating these very personal experiences isn't always that easy. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, it's not easy getting to know fans, especially as fan bases grow and become more international, as we've seen in recent years. You're not running into them on the streets or ringing up their purchases at the stadium. So how do we get to know Mark from Cincinnati or Maria from Barcelona? How do you learn who their favorite player is? How often they go to games? And what team merch do they own or are looking to buy? How do you get to know your fans on a personal level? And how do you use that data to create the coveted personalized fan experience? Pico Get Personal is helping teams, leagues, and sports organizations at large do just that. The company offers what they call intelligent fan-centric marketing and turns anonymous audiences into known ones. Their activations and games are used to engage fans on social media and various digital channels, capture important data, which can be anything from personal details to consumer habits, attendance, favorite players, and much more. And organizations can then use this information to further improve fan experiences. And we know that everything right now is all about the fan experience. So joining us today is the CEO and founder of Pico, Asaf Nevo. Asaf, welcome to the Mix Zone. Hi, Mirav. How are you? Thanks I'm for having doing me well. Thank you for thank you for being with us. We really appreciate you joining us this morning. My pleasure. So Big first, fun. first of all, Saf, uh, before we get into Pico, the product, and what it is that you do, we want to know a bit about yourself. So tell us about you, where you come from, and how you ended up founding Pico. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty long question. I'll try to make it short. So I'm 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 37 years old, uh, married, two kids. Um, I live in Haifa, born and raised in Haifa, Israel. Our offices of Pico is also our headquarters is, is in Haifa. Um, and just for everyone actually, international who may not know, Haifa is about an hour's drive north of Tel Aviv, just to play a little bit right. of that geography game. <laughs> yeah, when Tel, Aviv, when Tel Aviv people say north, they mean Haifa. Although exactly. Haifa is not the most northern part of Israel. Um, we started a bit differently. We kind of like built a different product at the beginning, very early in the day. And we found that the right product market fit is for sports. Like the first use cases we were able to actually use our products for are in sports. Uh, that's where we found that the whole idea of what you just described, knowing the fans, understanding who they are, how to provide a very personalized, uh, sometimes intimate experience with them. It's a key feature for, let's say, entertainment market in general, sports in particular, but the whole entertainment space is focused on that. Now the entire world 
is focused on personalization and how to do that. Um, and we kind of like grew into it. And as we, as we grew, we found, we brought in more and more talents from the sports space to work with us. Uh, we built more and more partnerships in this space to be able to have better market access and so on. But um, at the beginning, it was completely different product. So when was this beginning? How long ago was it that, you know, the original idea came along and how long did it take you to really develop it into the idea that is Pico today? Um, so the company founded around 2015 and uh, it took us like two and a half, almost years to play with different things we had in mind. In my mind, it's all a very direct journey to where we are today, as I've been experiencing the journey. From the outside, it might look like it was completely different, but it took us like two and a half years, around 2018, beginning of 2018, we started to really, again, it was very early from, from the market situation and technological situation and so on. But um, this is pretty much where we started to understand where the value is, where the value proposition is, and then we started to build on top of that. So I would say company founded around 2015, uh, started a big pivot around 2017, which ended at the beginning of 2018 with pretty much the same value proposition we have today. So tell us a little bit about Pico as a company today. You know, how many team members do you have? What's the company culture like? Uh, we are 20 people um, from all over the country. So we have people working from us from very up north next to the Hermon Mountain. And I think the most southern point uh, is uh, Petr Tikva. Um, so because we're in Haifa and we never wanted to limit ourselves, uh, we have people coming from all, all around the country. We were always a hybrid. So even much pre-COVID, we gave our employees full, uh, um, full uh, flexibility around whether they come to the office or work from home. Um, we always believe that, again, we're a small team, but we always believe that it's important to give you freedom and it's important that work is going to be something that is part of your life and not necessarily conflicts <laughs> with your life so we was really we were always focused on creating this harmony and synergy between life and work um given that we have many people working for us long years i want to believe we made it um, <laughs> again even bef before before it was very trendy to to be very pro-employee um, so we did it very early as an agenda and it's just getting even more important now, especially with the great resignation yeah. in the United States, putting your employees first. It's wonderful to hear that that's been a philosophy for pretty much as long as the company has been around. So Asaf, tell us a bit more about Pico. So you're, you're, the company brands itself as intelligent fan-centric marketing. What does that mean in practice? I like to call it more of a data-driven marketing. So the idea, first of all, marketing is a very big word and marketing sometimes sometimes being um, connected more to sales, but marketing is not always sales. It's sometimes about uh, content distribution, um, personalization, all of that is marketing. All strategies are sometimes marketing. So um, what we do is that we found that in the entertainment space, and again, in sports in particular, there is a very big gap between how much teams and leagues and, and sports properties really know about their fans compared to how many fans are they? So if you look at the big clubs, they would have, you know, maybe a couple of millions of fans registered to their CRM or to a newsletter. In other words, they actually have data in the database, but the data is pretty much around 
what ticket did they buy, where they live, what their credit card number, things very basic about, it's more about his, uh, um, how do you say, uh, um, billing um, references, okay? Um, and it's usually people who are living around the block, around the stadium, really close to where the, where the team plays. And when you're looking, I mentioned a couple of millions, but when you're looking at the big clubs, you can have a couple of millions in the CRM and you can have tens and hundreds of people, hundreds of millions of people in the digital space, engaging over Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, or might be using the app or the website. So when you're looking at the numbers and, and now, uh, you know, thanks God, we're big enough to see it across the entire globe. The numbers are always very, very big in terms of the gap between how much data you have compared to how much fans you actually, how many fans you actually have outside. It, we are looking at gaps of 97% of fans are not in the database, 98%. So when you look at the bigger clubs, you can say, okay, you guys don't really know who your fans are. That's, and, that's and the those reality. Those are mind-blowing numbers if you're talking about 97, yeah. 98% of fan bases. The, the best one we have seen, um, and it was uh, some NFL team, uh, I forgot which one, but one of the leading NFL teams in the United States. And by the way, NFL in general are relatively good in data and NFL teams in general are relatively good in data. And yet even there, uh, the numbers were around the 60 to 70% gap. So there's still a huge portion of fans that you don't know. You don't know what they like. Like you said, you don't know which player do they prefer, which merchandise item would they like, which sponsor of your sponsors are relevant for them. Nothing is personal. It's all transactional basis. And, and it's created a big gap. And we see this across the entire organization, the way teams make decisions, the way teams build strategy, um, and so on. I think the biggest example, sorry, just one had it, had it in mind. The biggest example for uh, how little teams really know about fans is the whole thing with the Super League. When the Super League came out, all Manchester United fans told them, we're going to cut our seasonal ticket holder, uh, seasonal tickets and we're never going to go to games anymore if you do that. It shows you how, how little do they actually know about what fans really like. So that's obviously a huge challenge that the entire sports world is plagued with and they're trying to overcome. So in that sense, how does Pico help them get that information? What is it that the product does? So we piggy bank on their digital engagement. So we always look to which topics fans are mostly engaged about. It could be a new player that you just signed or a new coach. Uh, winning and losing are obviously always engaging losing sometimes in a negative way. Uh, but these are the places when friends, fans are most engaged. As a side note, a small trivia piece, I will tell you that usually the most engaging content is more emotional rather than uh, competitive. So if a player has a baby in the way, that's usually going to be much more engaging than any other title or things that happening at the team. This is usually where fans are most engaged. But the idea is that we analyze what's engaging and then we come up with Okay, th these are the topics that fans are engaged. Now we want to create a more personal one-to-one -one experience with them. Let's say the topic is a new player. We will create some sort of a gam gamified experience, whether it's a personal trivia question or a game that you're playing trivia versus the new player, or maybe a prediction about how he's going to perform at the club, or um, it could be many other uh, pick up his best highlights from his last team or whatever. We find this great experience for fans to come in and engage. And then when they are in this experience, in this game, this is a place when they are willing to provide us more information about who they are. 
So we're not fishing for information. We don't scrape for information. We always do it in front of the fan in a very transparent way when they understand what data they provide us, why they provide us with this data, and what is this data is going to use for, because we believe transparency is a key feature for someone to provide you with data. And at the end of the day, it all stays inside the same, um, you know, the same e ecosystem of the team. They don't sell it out. They don't provide it to sponsors or it's all there. It's, it's all there in the purpose of getting to know the fans and providing them with a better product at the end of the day. So you're already getting a question out for later on about data protection because people are becoming more and more concerned about data protection. As you're saying, the data that teams receive, it is not shared with anyone else. So fans don't have to be worried about this. No, for sure. So now, Absolutely not. If we're looking at it from a fan perspective, say I'm a fan, I'm scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or whatever it may be at that moment. What do I see? What are these games activations? Are they part of, you know, a team's Twitter feed or is, how does that pop up on my end as a fan? So it could be a post, right? Over Twitter or Facebook or an Instagram story. We, with a call to action. The call to action would be click here or comment on this post or send us a DM something that triggers you. Once you click it or do the action they ask, it usually will redirect you to the same channels, DM channel. So it's, if it's Facebook, it's Facebook Messenger. If it's Twitter, it's Twitter DM, Instagram DM. Um, and then it starts, it starts to communicate with you directly and it starts again with you. So there is a conversational piece usually at the beginning of like, hey, Mirab, how are you? Here are the terms of use and the privacy policy. You need to approve them. And then the game starts. Uh, it could also happen in the app as a section there's a lots of uh, game activation sections that many apps that we are working with, or it could be inside the website in an article that is now speaking about the acquisition of a new player. Um, so it could be anywhere, that's the idea. And the idea is that every time we meet you, we already know something about you, it's progressively building. And then we can come in and say, oh, hey, Mirav, how are you today? It could be very personal. And then we will never ask you for the same question twice or the same data point uh, twice. And also the data points are not coming from you filling out long forms. It's always, always short interactions, short um, experiences, but every time we learn something new about you, kind of like in real life, right? That's the, that's the idea. As you mentioned trivia games, what are these types of activities and games that you're offering your clients? Well, there's so many. Um, we have like 20 different templates which on top of these templates, you can build probably more than 100 different activations. It's not always games. It's not mm -hmm. always trivia. It's not always prediction. Um, it could be things like personality tests or, or quiz, quizzes a game. Um, but there's, you know, visualized based games, which includes lottery, spin the wheels, slot machines, things like that. Not in the gambling side. It's not about gambling. It's about, um, you know, fair chances for everybody to win. There is more of a performance type of thing, which is trivia, which you need to show your knowledge at the shortest time. Uh, there is memory games, uh, running mans, lots of things could be sponsored. Very similar to a lot of the hyper-casual games that we play on our phones regularly anyway. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the idea. Also, it's focused on, on again, short, short iterations. We don't try to, to do long terms. And how have you seen your clients, whether they be teams or sports organizations, leagues or uh, bigger organizations at large, how do, have you seen them use this data that they retrieve? So, so we, didn't, we, we didn't cover that before. So after the game is not the, it's not the main event here. It's just a way to get the fans interacted and, and engaged. Once they are engaged, 
through this engagement, there's different ways for us to capture data about them. And then the data we capture about them is being automatically labeled by an AI machine we built in the backend. It's labeled, it's segmented, and then it could be synchronized into the team's CRM or ERP or whatever backend they have, which stores fans data. So imagine that you're now engaging over Facebook, you played this and this game, and we learned that your favorite player is someone and you would like to get a jersey. It gets into the CRM. And then the next day, the team want to have a merchandise promotion. So instead of just sending out a promotion for everybody and say, hey, there's 20% off at the store, we can actually segment and say, let's send to all fans who like Lewandowski and wanted to have a jersey, let's send them an offer at the channel that they're currently at. So if we engage with you lastly over Facebook, we'll send you a face, uh, an offer over Facebook DM. If we engage with you over Instagram, we'll get it over Instagram. But the offer is going to be, hey, Mirav, here's the jersey of, the, of Lewandowski you wanted. So it's very personal and it's very based on what you actually expressed interest of in the past. We have seen that the numbers of satisfaction, also the numbers of purchases, but the number of, of uh, satisfaction from fans when they're receiving personalized offer is much higher. And again, this is an example of sales. It could be, let's send you the video highlights of your favorite fans, of your favorite players, sorry, uh, just now when he scored, uh, uh, you know, three goals at the same game. So it's very, it's very um, dynamic, flexible. Yeah, very dynamic and very flexible on how you use it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, different teams use it for different purposes. More advanced teams are using it deeper. Uh, some other teams might use it, use it in a bit more, um, you know, flat way. But at the end of the day, it, it drives their own databases to get to know the fans better and use the data points uh, in a better way to provide a better service and experience for fans. So let's talk about these teams, ones that you work with, ones that you want to work with. Who is it that your target client is? I didn't mention it before. We currently have around 62 teams uh, already working with us and it's all global. So we have teams coming from India. Uh, many of the German Bundesliga teams work with us. Uh, other European teams in, in the US, we have, uh, we have teams coming from all the major leagues. We have the uh, Federation of the Mexican Football working with us in South, uh, South America. So we have a very wide widespread uh, majority of our customers are big names, are big tier one clubs. And that's always not always because we are great. That's, that's one piece, but also because that's where the problem is the biggest. So the bigger teams has a bigger problem. So it's easier to tap in and help them solve it. Especially um, when they have an international audience, as we've seen recently. Yeah, exactly. That's where when there's an international audience, that's where usually the gap starts. Because if I'm an FC Bayern Munich fan and I sit in Israel and FC Bayern has no data about me, to make it really hard for them to understand how to, to do anything with me. I'm, I'm pretty much transparent in terms of strategy planning of how to reach out to me. Um, so we're working, what, what we're trying to achieve is again, more and more teams. Uh, we are now in, in process of getting more leagues as leagues instead of going individually for teams. Uh, but we also step, step to other new markets like the CPG space, the consumer package goods, which works with many brands who work with many teams. So some of the, I can't mention them, you know, publicly, but some of the bigger brands in sports who spend a lot of money on advertisement in sports work with us and, and work with us in the context of sports, but also in the context of individual getting to know their audience uh, better. So those two markets are, are separate, but yet um, works together a lot.
What are some of the success stories that you've heard or seen from your clients in terms of the different activations that they've had and what they've been able to achieve with the data? Uh, there's many. Um, one of them on the sales side, uh, we have a couple of NHL teams that were able to get to, to almost uh, zero empty seats during games. So the entire wow. inventory, every time they had free inventory prior to a game, they use our data to target fans to get them to buy last minute tickets at a discount. So instead, again, instead of just putting out, we still have tickets left, we actually targeted the relevant fans, which we knew are going to be relevant for last minute tickets and fill the stadium. Um, that's one. There's many others. Depends on which, which type of um, success you're looking for. Some teams realize very important data that they didn't know. Some teams really increase the amount of data they have about fans and build tons of strategies around that. There's many success comes in many different ways uh, when you're using data. Now, have you had a chance to kind of work alongside one of your clients to develop an activation or a game that they had in mind that they wanted to use and kind of build new things together? Um, that's a good question. A lot in the past, very early. Actually, all of our templates came from, from uh, customers' needs and things that they wanted, but we always build things as templates and not as something that only one team is going to use because it's not scalable. At some point, we got to a point that I think from an engine standpoint, almost any game you have in mind, we have the engine to make it happen. So we are almost not developing new type of, we don't develop new type of engines. We have new type of activations, which are based on these engines. Uh, but these days, it's so rich that it's going to be very, very rare that the team would come in and say, I want this. And we either not going to have this or we're not going to be able to provide them the same value with one of our of our templates or engines. Obviously, nowadays, everyone's trying to figure out ways of getting to know their fans better. Have you come across another company that offers this type of data in the same way that you guys do? Um, I wouldn't say the same way. There are companies in this space um, globally. I would say COVID really changed two things. It killed all the mid-level companies, unfortunately, um, because the market you know, the sports market came through a very, a very rough hit, uh, but it also creates lots of demand. So the teams are now looking, maybe not now, but when COVID started and there was no games, teams actually started to actively search for solutions to understand who these, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 15 million people that they've built so long, uh, the then, communication with them. And in some way also to continue engaging with them, obviously when kind of sports yep. paused. And then they don't have what to engage on because again there is no game so they were looking for for how do we how do we do something with these millions um so the main i would say the main difference between what we do and other companies in this space is that we are not focused on the lead generation process so many companies offer lead generation we are more into building a full journey of the fan when there is no journeys and, and one of the things in sports is that there is no journeys so we engage and we we manage the process for the team from the content creation through the activation building and the content management, and then through getting the data, analyzing it, segmenting it, it putting it in the CRM, and then to use it for marketing. And it's a, it's a pretty big uh, circle that you have to manage, especially when you do it in scale with the bigger clubs. Um, and many of our competitors are usually doing one or two points from this whole journey. So in many cases, we work with companies that you would say that they are competing with us uh, at the same teams. So they might be provide a different analytics platform 
or a different activation that maybe they've built. But at the end of the day, it all comes down into our engine, into our backend that analyze everything and put it uh, into the backend. So it's not necessarily direct competition. So you're talking about this fan journey, and it seems as if a lot of, obviously, the data that you provide to your clients kind of helps them with understanding the fan journey and what fans want. But how much do fan preferences and the pace at which fan preferences change is also affecting that the way you're providing these templates or building these templates for your clients? I would say the templates are not affected by the fan uh, data points. Templates are, imagine them as hooks. This is what fans, like you said, this is what you're playing at your phone all day. Anyhow, now you're going to play it as part of your engagement with the team. So it's, uh, it's more uh, um, content related to something you love and you're emotionally connected to. That's from the game standpoint. Uh, we, as fans are changing their mind, we're changing with them. So we update the data points uh, and so on. Uh, but the important thing to understand is that one of the challenges in sports, that the fact that there is no real journey, is, I mean, when I'm saying journey, I mean digital journeys. When you're comparing sports to Amazon or to uh, retailers or e-commerce, other places who have lots of traffic, paid traffic, not organic, but paid traffic, you see that there is a very specific journey. You have a user and it's to be here and then you change the website based on his preferences and so on. They don't have it in sports. Sports is providing a tremendous amount of content just for the purpose of engaging, like a brand awareness type of thing. It's not because... When, when a team posts something over Facebook or over Instagram, it's not because there is a call to action at the end to go and buy something. That's their one-way street of engaging to the fans and to make them updated about what's going on. So it's not as when we're saying journeys, one of the opportunities in sports is that there is no journey. So when you're able to create a successful journey with a very specific conversion goal in mind, even if the conversion goal is just to get someone to consume more content, it's a different, it's a different uh, um, pace if you do it with data or you just do it, you know, organically, uh, hoping for this to happen. Now, what trends have you recognized in fan engagement and consumer data uh, that will become more prominent, you think, in years to come? So along the years, and, we're, and we have, you know, a couple of years experience already in the market, we have seen all the trends comes up, comes down. There's lots of noise. Uh, sports is sometimes always the first to adopt many things and also the first to drop. Like chatbots was super huge in sports during 2018, 2019. Um, I don't think any team has a chatbot right now, or at least if they do, it's not being promoted. Um, the entire, the entire uh, industry had lots of chatbots, but you would still see customer service related chatbots in the industry. I don't see many of them in sports anymore. And it was a huge trend. The AR, VR was always trendy. Uh, we're always tapping into those things. So if a team has a nice AR, VR um, experience, we can always tap in and connect our data to this. Um, we're not always going to be the one who builds the experience just because that's not. there's companies who build activations and products that their business, that's not ours. Uh, we look at this as one person of the journey. Um, but we have, we have seen cool things around those spaces. I think metaverse is something everybody are looking at uh, as a big trend. Sports, again, and if I, I think sports spends a lot in cryptocurrency and NFTs now. What I usually see is that usually there is a big spike and then the spikes usually go down. And then if it's, if it's good, if the trends is good, it stays. 
If not, it usually drops down. But that initial excitement is usually that spike that you see that it never stays at that level, put it that way. Exactly. I wouldn't say never, but most things don't. Like there's a lot of hype and it makes sense. You know, sports is entertainment business and, and, you know, uh, there's no other business like entertainment business. And it's uh, it's very spiky. It's always around the trends. It's always about being on top-notch technology on, on being, providing the fans with all the coolest things out there. And there are some cool things. It's just not always, it's not always thing. It's not always uh, adaptive to, to Maxim. So what's next for Pico for looking ahead? Um, that's a great question. So we, we continue to grow. Um, we look at other markets. So there are, there are a couple of new markets that we are already have nice traction in, whether it's the CPG space. We already have contracts with some of the biggest uh, alcohol and beverages uh, companies in the world. And we're now building uh, in other verticals of the CPG. Uh, the whole esports influencers market, super interesting. I would say the common denominator between all of those or all the markets that we are looking at is that they're always very engaging. And when there is a lot of engagement, sometimes there is there is a, a tension to not to think about who you're engaging with. And we are very good at understanding who is behind or who are behind this enga- be behind this engagement, and to understand who they are, what drives them, how can you communicate with them better. Um, and, and for us, growing to these markets is, is crucial for, for the company's future. And it sounds like for clients as well, with all the data that you're able to provide for them. Um, so we're almost out of time, uh, but I do want to hit you with a couple of our rapid fire questions. Are you ready for them? Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, so first of all, how do you define innovation? Mm, I think it's the, it's the willing, willingness to test and fail and to run fast while doing so. And if you could go back and do one thing differently, better, what would it be? Does it have to be Pico related or no, generally? It can be anything. So, okay, that's, I'm going to say something which is very boomer as I'm almost 40. I just first downloaded Spotify three months ago. I'm just now finishing my Spotify trial. So I would definitely download Spotify much earlier. So, definitely. So I, hope, uh, I hope you finish your trial and you're continuing so you can find the podcast on Spotify afterwards. <laughs> Yes, yes. So yeah, listening to more podcasts and downloading Spotify earlier would probably be a thing I would do much earlier. What piece of advice would you give your younger self at the start of your journey? Hmm, that's a good one. I don't know. Maybe, maybe dream bigger. Took me a couple of years to, to dream bigger than when it was at the beginning. So dream big, that goes with that idea of innovation. Even if you dream, dream big and fail, it's okay. Yeah, I never had a problem to fail. Um, but, but we came, historically, the three founders of Pico, we came from different type of businesses. Uh, I used to have a big nightlife business together with one of my co-founders. And my third co-founder is a, is a real estate entrepreneur. So we came from real, like real businesses with real cash flows and profit and loss and, you know, not the startup life, which is all, only about growth. And it took us a while to, to modify our state of mind into, into dreaming big. So back to, if we're talking about tech, who was or is your tech role model? Oh, wow. I'm not sure I have. <laughs> and I need to this think. is also okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, I don't think it's like, it's not me like, it's not about how I'm built, like following one. There's many I'm following and many I'm looking at, um, but none of them I would tell you I'm like a, like a groupie of just one. 
I like how Elon Musk is, is making the word crazy all the time, but to tell you that he's my tech guru, I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't say I have one. I'm looking at, at everybody all the time. All right. So is there one technology that has had the biggest impact on you? I would say mobile phones, but that's probably, that's probably very cliche and very, <laughs> very not innovative in my answers. But I would say that's the biggest one. Uh, surprisingly, you're, you're the first one to say that, even though we've had some others that maybe weren't the most out there ideas, but you're the first one to, <laughs> to concentrate on mobile phones. I'm old. I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> I don't think you're a boomer just yet, like you said, but... <laughs> I'm almost, almost. Asaf Navo, co-founder and CEO of Pico. Absolute pleasure having you with on, on with us today. Thank you very much for joining the Mix Zone. Thank you, Mariah. It was really fun. Here we go! That wraps up another episode of the Mix Zone by Infant Lab. I'm Marav Severe. You can find me and the lab on LinkedIn. And don't hesitate to reach out and chat with our team about sports tech solutions or just last night's game. Enjoyed the episode? Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. And don't forget to rate us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>